Please open your Bibles with me to the book of the Psalms. The Lord willing, the Lord enabling, we'll be looking at Psalm 50. Psalm 50. Now, as we've already heard, this psalm is about judgment. And judgment begins at the house of God. Indeed, as the Apostle Peter writes in his first epistle, the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? You see, beloved, God in his perfect justice is going to condemn all the wicked. Indeed, he's going to judge all the earth. Now, this psalm speaks of a particular judgment. And so, beloved, all of us ought to take great interest in this judgment of God, because God is speaking here in this psalm about his judgment upon the house of God, indeed, upon the Lord's people. Look what he says there in verse 4. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Our heavenly father hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man. What man? The God man Christ Jesus the Lord, whom our heavenly father hath ordained. It says in Psalm 50 verse 5, Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. God is saying here how that he's going to judge them that have made a covenant with him by sacrifice. You see, this is speaking here of those who are in covenant. And so that begs the question, will God condemn his people? Will God condemn his people? Well, I suppose you could say yes and no. But be sure you understand this. God will never, never condemn those for whom Christ died. No, never. But among those that are in the so-called house of God, or in the church of God, or what the old-timers called the visible church, well, they weren't all covenant people. What do I mean by that? Well, just as Paul said in Romans chapter 9, they are not all Israel which are of Israel. And we see God making the same distinction in this psalm. You see, my friend, God is speaking to us here in this psalm through the pen of the psalmist, and just as it is today, so it was then. You see, there has always been a mixed multitude among the visible people of God, a mixed multitude comprised of those that they are the elect and those that are not the elect. Among the visible church today, there are those that are the true people of faith, and then there are those who are the counterfeit. And that's why, and that's the way it's always been. You see, beloved, there's always wheat and tares growing together. Remember what our Lord taught us in the parable of the weeds? He said, The servant said unto the householder, Wilt thou then, wilt, wilt thou then that we go and gather up the tares? But the householder said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let, the, let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. 
And our Lord also compared the kingdom of heaven like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to shore and sat down and gathered the good fish into vessels, but cast the bad fish away. And so, beloved, that's what we're reading about in this psalm, how that God is going to judge and purify his church. Indeed, God's going to see to it that when we're all brought to glory, that everything's going to be just exactly the way he wants it. And he starts at the house of God. Now, I've already read this to you, but I want you to see this verse. If you would, keep your place in Psalm 50 and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and beginning in verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Now, who's going to do this judgment? I'm not. You're not. Well then, who's going to do the judging? Well, the, well only by that man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, whom he hath ordained. And if that judgment first begin at us, and it's through the Word, the Scriptures, through the Gospel of Christ, what shall the end be of them that obey not the Gospel of God? My friend, every time we're gathered here to hear the Gospel, among us, there's people that obey it, and there's people that don't. So you see, this judgment begins at the house of God. And so that's, that's what the psalmist is talking about here. Uh, I remember when I was in Canada uh, visiting, a lady wanted to know something about my home church in, Mer in Mexico and about my pastor. And she asked me, how do you go about church discipline? And I said, church discipline? Well, my pastor preaches the gospel of God's sovereign grace to his people. And it's that message that God uses to judge and purify His church. Well, she wasn't satisfied with that answer. You know, it makes me mad when I see so-called pastors abusing people and setting up all kinds of carnal contrivances, vainly thinking that they're the ones that will keep His church pure. You know, trying to browbeat people to stop doing one thing and then start doing another. Well, God help you if you're listening to a man like that. You see, when God judges His people, He does so in love. And they hear how that their judgment has been taken away in Christ and how that there is now therefore no condemnation to them in Christ. And for the reprobate, those that obey not the gospel, well, in God's holy wrath, He will justly condemn them, condemn them to hell. You see, beloved, judgment be belongs to the Lord. We have no right... Now, I'm speaking to the sinner in the pew, and I'm this sinner behind the pulpit. My friend, none of us have any right to judge another soul. Our Lord said, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. Well, the only righteous judgment I know anything about is in the gospel of Christ. And so I judge by that glorious gospel that teaches God's people to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Beloved, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. 
And so judgment is by the Word of God. And church discipline is through the preaching of the Scriptures. So if a man will not obey the gospel and believe the gospel, well, I trust the Lord to purify his church. I'm not going to do it, and neither are you, beloved. You see, if someone does not love the gospel, well, they're not going to stay around for long. Paul said, I have written unto you to not keep company with any man that is called a brother, and he be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, which such a one know not to eat. For what have I had to do to judge them also that are without? Beloved, we don't have to judge them that are without. We know exactly where they're at. Do not you judge them that are within, but them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now, Pastor, have you ever seen that happen in a church? Someone put away? Well, the best example I can think of would be when we had an idolater attend our church in Merida. Now, he was an elderly fellow, a man named Louise. And Louise was a student of that false prophet Charles Taze Russell. He's the one that started that group I've nicknamed False Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, anyway, they taught him that our Lord Jesus Christ is not God. Well, Louise was welcome to attend our church for several months. But when he started arguing with God's people after every service, my pastor simply stated, we teach and preach that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh and that the only God any of us will ever see, the only God any of us will ever embrace will be the God-man Christ Jesus the Lord and that it would be better for him to find another place to attend. And that was that. And so you see, judgment is something that we do with Scripture, something that we do by the Word of God. And this particular psalm also deals with worship. The Lord says this, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And so you see, beloved, in any local assembly, in any given local church, at any given time in history, wherever the Lord's people are gathered, there is always a mixed multitude. There was always those that were outwardly Israel, but were not Israel, and those that were truly Israel, Israel inwardly. A lot of wheat and a few tares. So that's what the psalmist is dealing with here. You see, this judgment must begin with God's house, and he separates the wheat from the chaff. You see, my friend, God's the one that makes the difference, not us. And so that's why our Lord said, if you start trying to pull up those tares, you'll pull up some wheat, some wheat with it. So, beloved, we just leave that alone. You see, our Lord will do that. All right, let's look at verse 1 through to verse 6. Here we see how the mighty God, indeed our God, shall come in judgment. Psalm 50, verse 1. God's word declares, The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken, and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. What does that mean? 
Simply this, how that God hath called the earth into existence. Beloved, he created. Indeed, he spoke the earth into existence, and he causes the rising of the sun to go down from the east to the west. My friend, God hath done this. It's his earth, and he's the one who made it, and he causes the rising of the sun and the going down thereof. I love that verse in John, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 3. Speaking of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, the God-man creator, we read, All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Psalm 50, verse 2. Out of Zion, the perfect, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. You see, beloved, the psalmist is announcing the one who's coming, the righteous judge himself, God Almighty. And so, beloved, the mighty God, even the Lord God Jehovah, he's the one that's coming. Again, look at what it says in verse 2. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Now, Zion here is the church, his people. And David was the one who set up the city of Zion. And that's where they had the tabernacle. That's where they had the temple. And that's where they worshipped. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty. Beloved, God shines in his church. He shines among his people. And out of the perfection of beauty hath he shined. You see, beloved, that's the holy city. That's the dwelling place where God is in Zion. And he dwells among Zion. Beloved, one of these days we're going to dwell in that celestial city on Zion's hill. And even right now, beloved, we're glorified with him right now in Zion. His word declares, whom God did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. Beloved, God has saved us. And whom he, has, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. God hath shined. Indeed, God commanded the light to shine out of darkness and hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so right now, beloved, God dwells among us. You see, Zion is the Lord's people. Verse 3, Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. Beloved, when God comes, He's going to have something to say. Indeed, when God comes among us, He speaks to His people and He won't keep silence. And when He speaks, my friend, you and I, well, we need to listen. That's why God's Word declares, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and look there with me in verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. Beloved, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. And be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. And so, my friend, 
when you come into the house of God, walk carefully, tread lightly. Be careful with what you say. Be careful with how you act. For our God shall come and shall not keep silence. He can't be silenced. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very temptuous round about him. Now, do you know what this is talking about? This is talking about the same thing that happened in Exodus chapter 19. Turn there with me to Exodus chapter 19. Our God shall come and fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tenuous round about him. Beloved, God grant, God let us have grace whereby we may serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, most people don't think of him that way, but that is the way he is. My friend, what a terrible and fearful thing it is to fall into the hands of a living God outside of Christ. All right, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 18. God's word declares there in Exodus chapter 19, verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it. And how did he do it? In fire, to judge, to purge, to burn. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. Now turn with me to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. I want you to see what Moses declares there in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23. You see, when our God comes, He won't keep silence, but rather speak with fire and great power. You see, beloved, there's something about God that makes Him holy and high and terrible and to be kept in reverent fear. In one sense of the word, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom that leads us to worship and reverently love Him and that keeps us back from doing certain things because we're afraid that if we go that far and do these things, well, that will give evidence that we don't love God. And what a fearful implication that would be. Beloved, I've had those thoughts when I thought God was telling me plainly, if I don't do right by this young lady, Sandra, and make her my wife, that God was going to kill me. And so we don't do a lot of things because of the holy fear, the reverent fear of God. And that's a good fear, a reverent fear, a holy fear. I mean, when you know that God has all power, when you know that God has all power and he can do anything he wants with you, well, you will reverently fear him. My, my friend, the worst thing he can do is to let you go your own way and live in sin and not do anything about it. I'm sure Frank Sinatra is not singing, I did it my way right now. Beloved, I don't want to do it my way. I trust, beloved, you want to do it the Lord's way, don't you? Now, not to be saved, no, no, but because, beloved, you already are. Our Lord teaches us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He says in another place, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him. 
And our Lord is speaking in reference to our Heavenly Father. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast you cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Now look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 23. Take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image, or or make you a graven image, or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Alright, let's go back to our text. Psalm fifty. Verse four. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me. You see, he's speaking here about his particular people, his saints. And he says, gather them together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And so he comes and he sets this judgment and he says, gather my saints together, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Verse 6. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. Now this is speaking about the Lord's people. This is speaking here about his saints those who worship him in spirit and in truth, those who have brought the sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is also talking about a people that are among them, a people that are half-hearted, those who were outwardly religious. But they weren't rebuked because they were religious. They were faithful in their religion. Our Lord says of them in verse 8, I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings that have been continually before me. So you see, these people kept coming with their sacrifices. And so do you know what their sin was? These people had the sinful notion that God needed their sacrifices. And look what God tells them in verse 9. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. You see, beloved, God does not need anything from you. For he's not the one who's in need. Indeed, he doesn't need anything from anybody. Rather, beloved, we need him. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. God is testifying here. I don't need your sacrifices. Beloved, everything we have comes from him. And anything we give sacrificially to him, well, we're just giving it back to him who gave it to us in the first place. For everything belongs to him. You see, God doesn't take issue with them because they failed to give or that they failed in their duty to attend the services or to live upright before him. The problem was this, how that all their religious activity was just them going through the motions. For you see, their heart wasn't in it. There was no passion and no heart in seeing and worshiping God and his glory. Beloved, anything that we do that is not done out of a heartfelt gratitude and love towards God, well, it's not worth doing before God. 
That's why we read in verse 14. Offer up. Offer unto God thanksgiving. That's what we read there in verse 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving. Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, if you would. Hebrews chapter 13. Now this too is speaking about thanksgiving and worshiping God. Beloved, we don't want to be half-hearted, do we? Like these religious people that were just going through the motions. You know, they attended the services. They brought their sacrifices. They were faithful. They paid their tithes. And they thought that that was enough. And they thought, well, God needs this. And God will reward me for this. My friend, any religion that makes you think that God is well pleased with what you're doing instead of what Christ did and makes you feel like you're doing a good thing by the things that you're doing, well, that's just dead, fleshly religion. Our Lord said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so you see, that's what these people thought. And the Lord is saying to these people, I'm not upset with you because of your sacrifices. I'm not upset with you because of your bullocks and your he-goats. I'm upset with you because you're just going through the motions. In effect, God is saying, you think I need your sacrifices? You think that I need your alms? Well, know this, I don't need anything from you. Look at verse 9. Again, Psalm 50, verse 9. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the earth is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. What are you going to bring to me to impress me, to put me into debt to you? Don't you know? All the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would surely not tell you about it. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? And then in verse 14, our God tells us what we owe unto him. Offer unto me thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Beloved, offer unto God thanksgiving. You see, God doesn't want our sacrifices. He wants our gratitude. He wants our thankfulness. In effect, beloved, our Lord is saying here, I want your heart. That's why we read there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. Beloved, in everything give thanks. In everything, beloved. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know, beloved, we can be thankful for the awfulest thing that happens to us. And how do you do that, you ask? Well, beloved, we can be thankful that it was me and not someone else. We can be thankful that whatever comes, we have a good hope. We can be thankful that everything that comes from God's blessed hand and bless His holy name, no matter what happens in this world, we can be thankful. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Everything we have, beloved, belongs to Him. Indeed, everywhere we look is His. And so everything we have we're just giving it back to him. Those things what he's already given to us. Now, again, Hebrews chapter 13, if you would. 
Hebrews chapter 13, and then look there with me in verse 15. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. By Him, by the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. And so God is saying here, that's what I want. I want gratitude. You see, the issue at hand for these people is that they have no love for God. You see, faith worketh by love. And so anything that a man does, if it's not done out of a motive of love, well, it'll just end up being a work where you vainly believe that what you're doing is that you're doing something for God to merit a reward for the works that you do. And beloved, that was the problem with the Pharisees. Was it not? You see, they vainly thought God can't do without us. My friend, that's not right. The truth is, we can't do without God. And God just did just fine without those Pharisees. Our Lord said to them, Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Beloved, anything that doesn't have love and gratitude behind it will end up being nothing more than carnal works of iniquity. Look, look what our good and ready to forgive God says to his people in verse 15. And this is after he judged them for not having hearts full of submission and dependence upon him, for being heartless and thankless towards him in their worship. This is what our ready to pardon, gracious and merciful God says to his people there in verse 15. Beloved, call upon me, in the day of trouble. You see, these people were in trouble. Beloved, we're absolutely dependent upon God. Indeed, nobody, absolutely nobody, will approach God without first receiving His mercy. But when God extends His mercy, when God extends His grace, that's when we'll approach God. My friend, we will know nothing about trouble of sin, trouble of heart, or about being in trouble with God left to ourselves, and that because of our sinful nature. You see, beloved, we as sinners are right now dependent upon God and His mercy. And it's only because of His mercy that we receive His grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you're in trouble and you find His plenteous mercy, this mercy that He extends to His people, you'll find out then you don't want religious rituals. In fact, it will worry you and trouble you to no end to see coldness in your worship or that you're just going through the motions. And so when God fills you with His mercy in Christ and saves you by His plenteous sovereign mercy, truth and redemption, it transforms you and changes you in your heart and your soul. So that now, beloved, we worship Him and find in Him the most glorious person that was ever before our minds and hearts. And He says to you who love Him, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Beloved, there's something deep in our hearts that God put there. I mean, when God genuinely saves a man, He puts something in that soul that nothing but God Himself can satisfy. That's why it goes out after God. That's why it desires God. That's why we love God. That's why it cries out to the Lord, and that's why it seeks Him. 
Further, that's also why God's people worry about their sin. Like David, we can say, my sin is ever before me. And we're concerned about it, beloved. We're concerned about our failures every day, about our lack of love, and concerned about how gracious we are to others. And this is because we know, beloved, that God has done something deep in us, and we've got to have him. You see, beloved, we worship a person. We're not just coming here just because we're members of Sovereign Grace Church. We're not just here to take up space on the pew. We're not just here to hear somebody sing or pray. Beloved, we're here because God put it in our heart to come to worship. We don't want ritual. We don't want dead obligation. You know, sometimes it seems like I'm just going through the motions. I hate that when I go to pray, pray, pray in my prayer closet. And after I pray, I think of that verse, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Father, cover that heartless prayer, that going, that going through the motions prayer with the blood of Christ, your beloved Son, and His righteousness. You know, it grieves me that I don't pray like I ought or love like I ought to. My friend, if our heart condemn us, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And the only thing I know about having any kind of confidence towards our Heavenly Father is found only in Christ Jesus our Lord, in Him alone, through His doing and dying, not through anything we've done, beloved. Beloved, the glory of God ought to be in everything we do, in our objective, in our message, in our lives, our praying, our preaching, our struggles, our heartaches, our sorrows, our trials, our temptations, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Beloved, seek the glory of God in everything, that God be glorified in me, be glorified in the church, be glorified in the gospel, be glorified in the salvation of His beloved people. And that's what he says in verse 15. That's why he says in verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Verse 16, we see here God is going to judge the hypocrites. But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to, de to do to, to, to declare my statutes? What hast thou to do to declare my statutes? or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth. In effect, God is saying this, What right have you to call yourself one of my covenant people? You take my statutes in your mouth, you take my covenant in your mouth, and who in the world do you think you are that you can do that? He says unto the wicked, What have you got to do to declare my statutes or take my covenant into your mouth? What in the world makes you think that you're one of mine? What makes you think that you can just talk about me and declare my statutes and take my covenant into thy mouth? They were unconverted, stiff-necked, and hard-hearted. I like the testimony of that man that wasn't unconverted, that wasn't stiff-necked, and wasn't hard-hearted when the Lord converted him. Do you remember Nicodemus? Or not Nicodemus, the eunuch, our brother from Ethiopia. He was listening to Philip. And Philip asked him if he understood what he was reading. 
and he didn't understand it. And he said, how can I unless a man show me? And that faithful minister sent of God didn't uh, try and indoctrinate that eunuch. He simply opened his mouth and began at that scripture and preached to him Jesus. And what a wonderful testimony we have in that eunuch from Ethiopia. He looked upon the water and said, What hindereth me? <laughs> he knew experientially what it is to be a believer, to be having a moment of pause and say, What hindereth me to be baptized? What hindereth me to confess the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior? What, what hindereth me to take into my mouth his covenant? Take into my mouth his statutes. What hindereth me? And Philip said to him, If you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you may. <laughs> and it was the eunuch that pointed out where the water was, not, not the minister. Philip didn't tell him, We're going to have baptisms on this weekend. Why don't you come over? We'll baptize you. No, no. The eunuch said, Here's water. What hindereth me to be baptized? But you see, these people here, they were unconverted, stiff-necked, and hard-hearted. And so you see, what God is saying here is this, how that these people were only God's covenant people by the words that came out of their mouth and not by the actions of their heart. Now, I must confess, I wonder about this dispensation of time we're in right now. I read the history of the church, the book of Acts, I see man, you know, God's man sent with his message using his means, preaching Christ and him crucified. And immediately <laughs> there's this desire to want to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. It seems today, and God quicken us, God revive us, there can be people in an assembly and sit on a pew and for years hear the ordinance of our God and they don't do a thing about it. And we know, beloved, no one's baptized to be saved. We're baptized because we already are. I pray the Lord would be pleased to bless his words in this place with his power and save his people to the uttermost and glorify himself and his son and the spirit in this, in this local assembly. Our Lord brings this awful charge of hypocrisy against these wicked. Look what he says there in verse 17. And the prelude to this is, in effect, this. Oh, sure, you declare my statutes, and you take my covenant into your mouth, but here's what you're really like. God says in verse 17, You hatest instruction, and you casteth my words behind your back. You see, these hypocrites hated his instruction, and that means... They hated correction and chastening. They don't want to be instructed. They don't want anybody telling them anything. They don't want anybody to say anything to them. The wicked say things like, Don't be preaching to me, preacher. You take care of your own house and keep the moat out of your own eye. And the Lord tells us here how the reprobate casteth his words behind them. They despise the word of God. And if they do take God's word 
Well, they just end up throwing it out with indifference and contempt because they, in fact, despise the Word of God. You see, in reality, the reprobate doesn't receive it as it is in truth, the Word of God, which effectually worketh them that believe. Rather, they receive it just as the words of man. And so the Word of God has no effect on them, and so they cast His words behind them. You know, they come to you and they listen to instruction from the Word, but they don't receive it. They just throw it away, all the while ignoring the plain teaching of the Scriptures. And so you see, that's the nature of a hypocrite. And beloved, if it weren't for God making the difference in His beloved people, they'd be just the same, we'd be just the same as the wicked reprobate hypocrites. And they're content with those things with which they ought not to be content with. For you see, they're not content to keep company with God's people. But rather, God says in verse 17, rather, verse 18, When thou sawest a thief, then thou consent, consentest with him. In effect, you agreed with him. Rather than saying, God has said, thou shalt not steal, you justify the wicked and say, well, that's not so bad. You're just a sinner anyways, and you can't help but steal. And we read further, thou has been partaker with adulterers. You go around and partake with people that are adulterers, people that love running with this woman to that woman. And you run around with them that run from this man to that man. And you run around and partake with them, and you don't think anything's wrong with it. You see, they'd rather associate with the wicked than with God's people. Look what it says in verse 19. God says to the wicked, You take my statutes and my covenant in thy mouth, and then you turn around and give us thy mouth to evil. You use your words for evil things, not good things, not to praise God, not to worship God, not to sing songs unto Him. And your tongue frameth deceit. Your tongue comes out with lies. Look what else he says in verse 20. Thou sittest and speaketh against your brother. You slanderest thine own mother's son. And this word slander means that you make up falsehoods about him, slandering and belittling, belittling him and saying things that are not true to demean his character and demean his reputation. Our Lord said, Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. And then look at verse 21. These things thou hast done, and I kept silence. And the wicked thinks that God's silence means God's approval. And further, God says, Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. And that's the problem with the wicked. They think God is just like they are. Well, they think because God is silent, that somehow God's approving of them. But you see, they didn't realize they were under God's judgment. Look at the latter part there in verse 21. God says, But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. And turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, right before the book of Proverbs. I will reprove thee and set them in order right before your very eyes. What solemn words to the wicked makes me think about the approaching day when many, not a few, but many will say to the Lord on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. 
They sure used his name a lot. And then he tells us, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And that's the way these people are. They just went on living. This many that our Lord speaks of, they're, they're churchgoers, people that attend the services. And that's what he's talking about. You come in here, you talk about my statutes and my covenant, and God is saying, in effect, why in the world would you do that? Look at how you really are. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. And this is the problem with man, with that man or woman left to themselves. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And what they say is, in effect, now, Lord, if this is not right for me to do, you stop me. Send me a sign. Cause lightning to strike. And they don't see a sign or that lightning strike. And they go on in it and mainly think, well, I guess that's all right with the Lord. All the while throwing his word behind their back. And that's what's wrong with these folks. They're thinking, is like this. God's been silent. He's not speaking to my heart. He's not reproving me. And then God says, you just wait. You just hold on. I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Look what he says in verse 22. And this is a, a word to the hypocrite. Psalm 50, verse 32. Psalm 50, verse 22. A word to the hypocrite. Now consider this, ye that forget God. Now consider this, ye that forget God. Beloved, how many people have you met in your lifetime that said, I used to be a Christian, or I used to go to church, and they say, I'll go back one of these days. Or they say, I was saved once. And God says, you consider this, ye that forget me. You thought I was like you. Consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces. And when I do, there be none to deliver you from me. My friend, consider these things carefully. Consider these things carefully. God sees and knows exactly where you are, what you do, and it's a dangerous thing to play with God. You see, God's a jealous God, and it's a dangerous, dangerous thing to profess to be one of His people and all the while continuing to walk with a wicked heart and living in open rebellion and pretending to be something you're not. Look what He says there in verse 23. Oh, the blessing that God gives to those that he gives a new heart, to those he delivers. He says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. Beloved, I want to praise and glorify him, don't you? According as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation 
to him that stands fast in Christ will I show the salvation of God. Beloved, it's because he shows us salvation that we offer praise. We don't offer praise to be saved. No, no. Rather, we offer praise and glorify him because he already has, beloved. Beloved, our good and ready-to-forgive God declares, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Amen.